0: Can stories derail our finances? Welcome to Common Sense on the Prairie, a podcast dedicated to helping you demystify the sometimes complex topic of money. I'm Adam Cox, head of wealth management for the First National Bank at Sioux Falls. We're a community bank based out of South Dakota. In this podcast, we share expert insights from around the country and stories from our local community to arm you with the tools you need to make better financial decisions. Because the truth is, the more we talk about this stuff, Better off, we're all going to be. Today, I'm joined by another awesome Ramsey personality, Dr. John Deloney. Dr. Deloney is a best selling author, mental health expert, and host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. He has two PhDs and over two decades of experience in counseling, crisis response, and higher education. John's goal is to help you navigate tough decisions, improve your relationships, and believe you're worthy of being well. And he is the author of the new book, Own Your Past, Change Your Future. You've likely learned by now that even though this is a show about personal finance, it's not just about the numbers. If personal finance was simply a math problem we needed to solve, we would have solved it long ago. But it's not. Personal finance is more than just numbers, it's personal, it's messy, and just like us, it's very, very complex. But we're not going to solve it until we first start talking about it. The last couple of years have been a lot. We've had to deal with a global pandemic, student loan crisis, inflation, war, and the stresses of social media, and the toll of all this stress and uncertainty is weighing heavily on us right now. This episode is not about investments or tax planning. This is an episode about how financial stress and the stories we tell ourselves or the stories that others tell us can impact our well-being and, in turn, our choices around money. And, maybe most importantly, it's about what we can do when everything feels like it's spinning out of control. I had a blast talking to Dr. John, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. All right, John, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Adam. This is awesome. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, before we dive in, uh, let's start this conversation where I like to start all these conversations. Let's talk about music for a minute. So I got two yes. questions for you. Okay. Number one, what kind of music are you can do? And number two, this is maybe a little trickier. If you could see anyone in concert, alive or dead, and time not being a restriction, who would it be?
1: Oh, man, that's an unfair question. So the first one, I'm trying to just go back and think of the music I listened to this week. Um so Frank Turner's got a new record out that I love. And he's a Damn. he's a British songwriter, um, okay. who I think is one of the best. It's not I, I have to turn the volume down in the car with the kids quite often. So it's not <laughs> a family friendly record. Sure. Um, but he's he's I think he's one of the best songwriters and performers I've ever seen. Um, I'm a huge Andy Peterson fan. Who's like a faith-based singer songwriter. Who's fantastic. Andrew Peterson. And, and then man, I was also found an old poison CD at <laughs> a UCD sale. So I love my old yes. metal and punk rock.
0: And yeah, yeah.
1: If I could see any concert. Oh man. I followed Pantera around when I was a kid. I saw him like eight or nine times or something. Not good wow. for my soul, but yeah, I, they're all, you know, half of them have passed away. I, I wouldn't mind. Like having a nostalgia, I'd probably make it three or four songs before I just went home because it was too loud because I'm old sure, now. But yeah. Um, <laughs> man. And Social Distortion, that's my favorite band to see live. I just love seeing them. Maybe some old punk bands. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, probably some old bands that I try to relive the old days and try to run around a little bit till my knees hurt and something
0: like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. Nice. nice. And Michael Jackson oh,
1: okay. would be cool to see. I don't know, dude. Who
0: knows? All over the place. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. What kind of music I listen to depends on the day. Depends on my mood, frankly.
1: There you go. Right. That's right.
0: All right. So, John, you've got a really unique background. And I want, if you wouldn't mind, I want you to walk us through your background. And as you're doing that, you know, I gotta know how did you end up at Ramsey Solutions and co-hosting the Dave Ramsey show?
1: <laughs> I just got off the show and walked straight down from that studio to this one. And on the way down, I'm still trying to figure that out. I still <laughs> like I don't even know what happened in my life. Um, I spent the last um I think it was 16, 17 years in higher education as a dean of students or associate dean and um, as a professor some years also. And I've uh, just been working in, I was a nerd, man. I was working with students and their families in some messy situations and doing budgets and leading big teams and trying to figure things out and do strategic plans and all that stuff. Um, and then I've also spent a couple of years working um, with the police department in my community there in Texas. and. In the city there and just doing death notifications and crisis support taking Mm -hmm. care of people who've had the worst of the worst of the worst um, things happen to them sit with them in the middle of the night and then get them to the next their resources and so um, that's been my world man it's just being a guy in the shadows trying to take care of people behind closed doors and I gave a speech at Belmont University where I was working which is just just a phenomenal university here in Nashville and uh, it was my dream job it was life was great. And I gave a speech to about a thousand students and parents in an old theater and Dave Ramsey's executive VP was in the audience. And she just said, (laughs) I'm going to hire that guy. Uh. And she was the person (laughs) who hires the co-host. And so they invited me to speak at an event. And just as a, as a college guy, part of my job as a, as a senior leader was to be out and about speaking the communities and, and doing those kind of things. And I didn't realize I was at a job interview. And Mm -hmm. so I came back a few times and then suddenly, we took a my wife and I took a sideways turn in my career path, and here we are now. My as my son says, "You're a YouTuber, Dad. You're yeah. not that cool." So here we are.
0: Yeah. Man. Uh, my kids get so mad when they see me pop up on YouTube. They're just yep. like, "Oh, you're the worst!" <laughs> 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 All right, so let's start here. Uh, I'm really excited about this this conversation today. But hot off the press, so Ramsey Solutions just released its state of mental health study revealing personal finance and money take the lead as a stressor for 63% of the population. Yeah, John, why do you think that is?
1: I mean, I think there's a couple of reasons. I think the first one is, I mean, it there's some basic four walls we call them, right? There's food and like shelter and clothing and water and electricity, right? And if you don't have money, you don't have those things. And so mm. I think there is a reality, a math reality to the social reality. And we've want to reverse engineer. We want to have these lives. We want the pictures of these lives, but we don't have the math to back it up. We just don't have the money to pay for the lives that we want. And um, no matter how much, I think, I think one of the study, one of the line, one of the data points was one out of two Americans, 40% of Americans making six figures are living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. That's stone madness. Yeah. Um, either you're in a community that is out is so expensive to live in. It would be better to make less than six figures in a in Kansas than it would be to make $100,000 in San Francisco, right? And we just have to look at the fiscal realities of that. Or, man, people, your expenses just move with you. So it's less about a dollar amount. Sometimes it's about a dollar amount. I've sat with those folks for years, and it's brutal, and it's ugly. And it, it is about, I need to make more money per hour. But for many, many folks, it's simply a matter of the life I want doesn't match up with the dollar amount that I have. And there's just such a stressor there. Um, and the second one I think is more existential. And that is in this in the Western world particularly, if you distill down all the vacations you do and don't take, the degrees you did and didn't you know, did and did not get the jobs you do and don't have, you, you distill all that down the investment decisions you did or didn't make. Did you get NFTs or Bitcoins or did you put it all in a rot, whatever, all that distills down into one question. What are you worth? And we have wrapped the answer of that question in a number. And I mm-hmm. think the answer to the question, what are you worth is never a number because it's never enough. Right. Yeah. And so I think that, you have this existential stress that I'm supposed to be worth fill in the blank. And then you have the math reality that millions and millions of Americans just can't put to, can't put the front end of, and their are back into their month together. And that's a recipe for stress and anxiety and all sorts of other relational disasters.
0: Yeah. I think that's great. And, you know, I, I often wonder what the root cause of our money stress is, is it, you know, is it that we just don't have enough? And certainly, for part of the population, that is absolutely. And especially now during the times of inflation, the cost of everything is going up. Sometimes people just don't have enough. Mm-hmm. But other times, I think the the root cause is it is it just our comparisons to others sure. and um, and trying to keep up and keep on that treadmill that's actually causing the stress. It's it, it, so when you say someone makes six figures but they're living paycheck to paycheck, you know that's hard for a lot of people to fathom but that's right. absolutely a reality for many many americans that are doing really well and the 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 gross part
1: about that is behind closed doors dave takes care of me and my family really really well mm. and i drive an 06 tundra like <laughs> it's got one hundred seventy five thousand miles on it mm. and last month my wife and i said, like hey let's just we're gonna quit buying milk and bacon and um because gas prices are so high yeah and brother Dave takes care of us super well. Yeah. <laughs> and so the the what's gross behind closed doors is people who make become wealthy over time, they don't live like an Instagram person. They don't yeah. live like an influencer. And there's a disconnect between the reality. Um. You know, Dave did that big study of ten thousand millionaires. Mm-hmm. The third, the third most common millionaire job in the United States is a teacher. Mm-hmm. Uh, teacher, right? Mm-hmm. And so I've got a house full of teachers. My wife's a teacher. I was a high school and even an elementary school teacher. I know what they make and it's not a lot of money, which means you got to make choices. All all that to say is, man, what's gross is people think when I get six figures, then I can take my foot off the intentionality gas pedal, right? I can just kind of just let things coast. And man, I tell you what, you just can't. You can't. And the people who are really doing well are not taking their foot off that intentionality.
0: Yeah whenever I read studies like that one or read The Millionaire Next Door, I always feel terrible about myself because I spend way more on jeans (laughs) than than 35 bucks. right? (laughs) So, this money stress that we have, um, you know, you experience this stuff all the time. I do as well, but what does that do to us physically, mentally, spiritually? Well, I think physically, we don't
1: talk about this enough, but there's a when your body detects that it's not safe, right. Or when your body detects that it's not in control of its next mo its next moment, the, the nerd word for that is autonomy. Mm-hmm. When it, it senses in its environment, it's not safe. And by the way, if you owe somebody else money, you don't decide what you do tomorrow. The bank does. Mm-hmm. You don't decide what your next choice is. Ford motor credit is right. they, they are the driver of your life. Um, And so when your body recognizes it's not in control of its next step, when it's not safe, and if you can't make rent, if you can't buy food, you are not safe. Um, When it does that, it sounds the alarms. It floods your body with adrenaline and cortisol and says, we got to fight or flight. This is a scary moment for us. We're not okay. We're not safe. And there is a chemical cost to that. And then when we get stressed, when we get fired up, when our body's in fight or flight, we stop thinking with our rational, what should we do next in logical order, part of our brain. We start thinking with the fight something or run from something or go numb and hide from something part of our brain. And when you are with somebody in a relationship, when you're married to somebody and you have a money stress, chances are y'all are going to handle that differently. And now you're going to war with the one person who's committed the rest of their life to, to being on your team, right? Yeah, And then you get into the spiritual mess and you get, that's when you get into the existential crisis. What am I worth? Why am I even here? What's my value? I have no purpose. I talked to somebody on the Dave Ramsey show just a little while ago um, who said he, he makes uh, cosmetic, I mean, he's a chemist for cosmetic companies. And he's like, I wasn't put here on earth to make shampoo and makeup <laughs> for two decades. And I thought, <laughs> why? Like, well, who told you that you don't have value? Yeah. Um, and just because you're not, you know, painting an orphanage and, you know, so we, we just continue to buy into these existential lives. And I think monetary stress really, really, um, piles up and piles up on us in all areas of wellness.
0: Yeah. And on your show, um, one of the things I really enjoy is the work that you do digging in with couples. And one of the things I've tried to do in this show, I've introduced a new series called How We Money, where I bring in couples and we just talk and grind through like, how do you do budgeting? And, you know, who, who makes the big long-term decisions and who delegates and who's, you know, all of that stuff. And it's, it's messy and it's fantastic. Um, (laughs) but so you get these calls all the time when we're not doing well with our money, when we're under stress, what does that impact on our relationships?
1: you you can't be connected when you are in fight or flight because your body is saying like that that's why when people are in fight or flight when they've been traumatized when they're stressed out uh sexual interest goes way down you, digestion goes down the desire to eat healthy goes down i want cheapest calories possible because i'm in a fight right that's that's the, that's what our body's telling us yeah and so it's hard to be connected with somebody. It's hard to be intimate with somebody. It's hard to look across the table and be one with somebody when your body's off to the races and when we are stressed about money or when you don't know where money is or you don't know how much you owe. You just know it's a lot. Or you don't fully trust the person across the table from you because you don't know where her ATM card is or her credit card is or what. Or I think we've got I think I think we've got enough room on this card. Uh, Here's a story from my life. I remember um, my dad, uh, he told me he's going to pay for my prom tux when (laughs) I was 17 or 18, whatever. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. It was one of the, I I was heartbroken. Um, And it was like $70. But I remember he brought in three credit cards Mm. and said, put $13 on this one, put 36 on this one. And, I remember thinking, "Oh no! Like, what if?" Mm -hmm. Like, I felt this guilt that an eighteen-year-old shouldn't feel, and I know that he was embarrassed because he was. It was just hard, right? And I know Mm -hmm. him and my mom have just done incredible work to change that that situation. But that's the world we live in, and I could see it in his body language and on his face, and in his the way he spoke. There was just that tension and that weight and that heft. There it was so heavy, and also that shame. You know, I wish I could provide for my wife this way or my husband this way or why can't I just buy my kid a tuxedo for his, for a gift? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was this weight, man. And if yeah. you, that money stress, if you don't get that stuff knocked out, it will just burn everything down around you.
0: Yeah. You mentioned the word trauma. Mm-hmm. So normally when we hear the word trauma, we don't think of money issues, but when we go through something, um, like a foreclosure or a bankruptcy, would that be considered traumatic?
1: Yeah. Some of the most <laughs> traumatic, um, events yeah. of one's life. So think about trauma, less about the event. Um, and I think this is Bessel van der Kolk or Peter Levine, one of those two, um, trauma is our body remembering what happened and replaying it. Right. So, and it can be, you know, there's, there's versions of post-traumatic stress and, so on and all that. But when I think of trauma, it's less about the actual story, the actual event, and more about what my body does. And so when somebody comes to you and says, I'm taking your house back because you have been dishonest, you have failed the bank. And that usually means you have failed either in your job or in your responsibilities or in working through um, challenges with addiction, whatever that happens to be. Or they raise the taxes in your area so high that you can't keep your home, right? Or you're an elderly person and they're some crazy. But so- Dude, somebody comes and knocks on your door and says, this is mine now. Every alarm in your body will go off, right? When, the, when yeah. you are bankrupt, Dave still talks about, he talks about that trauma. He can, he can get choked up. His body remembers. Whenever we do debt-free screams on the show, it's phenomenal to, when you ask somebody to tell them what happened, like, take me back to the original, their whole body changes. Like, they get mm-hmm. tense and they stop holding hands sometimes they a couples will get a little bit like it's per, imperceptible but they get a little bit further apart from each other sure um and then when they talk about when we paid everything off when we got debt free when we started taking control they smile big their shoulders drop they lean into each other right it's, it's it's our bodies remember these stories
0: yeah so a theme that ran through your new book was the power of stories mm. if you wouldn't mind walk us through. The four stories and how those direct our lives. I just, I just think this is fascinating stuff. So and none of this is new, right? I, I wish I'd yeah. made all this up. But
1: um, <laughs> ultimately, when I looked back across the literature, both ancient literature and recent you know, neuroscience, It four stories that we live by emerged, and one of them is the stories we're born into. And that's just how your family does what your family does. If you even have a family, it's what your Mm -hmm. culture just does, right? These are the stories like, We don't buy houses like that, we live here because this is who we are. (laughs) And or I would never ever drive a car like that, I drive these cars, right? So it's these, um, it's just the air you breathe. This is how we do Christmas becomes, this is how Christmas is done, right? Yeah. This is the right way to do this. These are just the stories you're born into. Um, if you're a person of faith, it might have been God loves you and he's rooting for you. Or it might have been God's watching you and if you <laughs> screw up, he's going to torture you for eternity. Or it may have been, there is no higher power. People are crazy and then you get over it. Like whatever you're born into, that's the story. Yep. And then you have the stories that you were told. And those can be stories that the coach told you, you were never going to play for me. Or the teacher said, well, you just aren't a math kid. Um, You're going to be in this class, not this one. Um, Or that girl told you, you'd be so cute if your teeth weren't yellow or if you didn't have acne or if your body just looked different. And so these are these stories you're told. And some of them are implicit, right? Some of them are you're an abuse victim and somebody told you what your body was worth. Or you grew up in deep systemic cycles of poverty and every day your culture, your community told you, here's what we think of you. You get to live over there and you don't have access to these services and your schools are going to suck because we don't care about you. Right. So those are the stories you're told. And then there's the stories of the things we've done. And that's the part that gets left out these days. Yeah, it does. But a lot of us made choices. We contributed. Um, I didn't fully understand at 19 that I was signing a 30-year loan document that was legally binding that I could never discharge in bankruptcy. And I ended up me and my wife ended up with six degrees and six figures of student loan debt between us, mm. and I can complain about that and be really angry. They didn't fully understand what I was doing. They didn't tell me, but I signed my name on that paper. I've said jokes that I thought were funny that I've come to find out later that hurt people. I thought things were fill in the blank. I made decisions. I may have drank too much. I may have driven when I shouldn't have. I may have did right. so. We have stories that, uh, of things that we've done to participate in where we find ourselves. And all of those stories, rightly and wrongly, turn into the fourth kind of story, which is the stories we tell ourselves. And so that story of here's, um, here's what Christmas is supposed to look like turns into this is the right way that I do Christmas. And so anywhere else I see Christmas, y'all are doing it wrong. And I can either try to proselytize and fix the way you do Christmas or I can just go to war with you or just avoid you, right? So it becomes the way we do things. Um, We don't buy used cars in our house. We're a new car family. We don't buy cars. They're depreciating assets. We lease them because that's the wise thing to do with our money becomes this is how I do it. And we don't understand that, that the way we do things, we think we're so wise and smart and bright often are just a compilation of narratives we've been given and fed over and over and over and that happens with sleep and biology and nutrition and how we do money and the role technology plays in our life but um it's when you start to pull the thread on some of these these stories and be like like why why when my wife just said hey will you pick up your shoes did i suddenly find myself raged out yeah Like, where does that, why is my body responding like that? That doesn't make any sense because I love her and I know she loves me and she did ask me to take, pick up my shoes because she works her butt off all day and I just came and dropped them here. Why am I feeling angry? And if I can pull the thread on that, usually that story is 25 years old, right? That if somebody calls you out, it's because they don't like you and when you're not liked and you don't belong and when you don't belong, your body sounds all, it's, it's anxiety and stress alarms, right? So all I have to say is, those four stories impact most of us every minute of every day.
0: Yeah. So, and this drives me nuts. You and I could probably talk about this all day, but what are some examples of money stories that others tell us that impact us well into our life?
1: Oh, man. Um, I think one's, a story that haunts me, it haunts my body, is we're going to run out. And I grew up with a dad who was a, was a policeman and he made 20,000 bucks a year or whatever. He didn't make a lot. And then halfway through my childhood, he quit being a homicide detective and became a minister. Right. So we never had a ton growing up. And I have those, 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 the, I wrote about one or two of them in the book, but that, you know, just the, I remember those money fights in my home. I remember those, um, Hey, we don't have enough for like baloney and bread. and, yeah. Um, or we're putting groceries on a credit card as a family. So I've got these moments seared into my body that no matter how much money I've made over the, over the last however many years, it's always not enough. And the number of times my wife has had to come back and say, John, don't take another adjunct in class. You don't need to get a fourth job. Um, yeah. I need you home this weekend. I know the speaking gig will pay X. I need you here. The kids need you here. Yep. And my my internal drive. So it's a story that money's going to, it's all going to go away. Mm. Um, there's money stories about debt will save you, that the way to get wealthy is to borrow your way into it. And we just happen to be on the back of the largest bull run in the history of planet earth. And it won't always be like this. And there's going to be a lot of people holding the back when the thing, when the thing, when the bottom falls out. And there's a natural cycle to it, but we've just gone mad that the only way forward is debt. The only way forward is with uh, risky investments. The only way forward is with uh, like an imaginary new currency that we can use to buy stuff that doesn't exist. It, it's, it's just a bonkers way to live, right? Um, I mean, we, yeah, we could talk money stories all day long. And yeah. the other is we can just print it forever. That's another good one. We can just yep. make more. Yep. Just keep making it. It's cool, yep. man. Y'all need some more? Gotcha. We just make it, right? Um,
0: and so it, it's, it's the, the money stores are all over the place. So John, if, if we don't like what we hear, if we have that aha moment, we wake up one day and be like, hey, I don't like this story. I don't like where this is going. I don't like where maybe where I've been. How do we get to a place where we, we change those stories? How do we get to a place where we, we can flip that script? I think the big one as you mentioned it. I have to get to a place where I want this to be
1: different. And I'm, I don't even, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, and I remember at 18, when I remember the moment in the little tuxedo rental shop, like for my cheap prom, I remember thinking that will never happen to me. I Mm. don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't want that to ever happen to me. And, um, and I'm working hard that that's not the same. That's not the case, right? Yep. And so, and it's, again, it's not a knock on my dad. It's not a knock on my parents. My dad worked harder than any man I've ever met. It's a, I need to do something different. I don't even know what that is, right? And so I went out looking for different models. So if you start with, I want this to be different, then you have to look at the only things you can do. The first thing you have to do is you got to own where you are. And most people have a hard time, myself included, looking in the mirror. Um, I was complaining a few weeks ago about some pants. Like I'm, I'm the mental health and wellness guy. I tell people how to lose weight and how to, and here I am. I was like, man, I don't know what idiot washed these jeans, but they <laughs> shrunk them.
0: And I have uh, that same issue at home. Yeah. It's
1: ridiculous, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, it, it was only happening to my pants too, which is yeah, super weird. Yeah. And it was more and more annoying that I was the guy washing them. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> That's okay. All right. I should probably, I should probably <laughs> stop eating that many yeah. bags of candy, right? So I have to look in the mirror and own it. And I got to look and own, here's my financial situation. Here's how much I owe somebody else. Here's how much I don't have saved for retirement. I've been trying to scratch out a living in New York so I can tell people I live in New York or LA or in Phoenix. And I can't afford to live here. Not for the job that I'm a social worker, not for the job I want to do. And I need to go somewhere. These are hard, hard conversations that culturally we're not having because we want everybody to give us whatever we want, wherever we want it, whenever we want it. And I've got to own my station. Here's where I'm at. And then I'm going to move forward and get connected with other people. And um, there is zero, none, not nada. There is no long-term behavior change without other people. You cannot, you can white knuckle it and grind your way through it. But there is no long-term change to anything, to weight loss, to quitting smoking, to being a better husband, whatever the thing is you're working on, getting right with your money. Um, you cannot do it by yourself. You got to have a coach with you. You got to have a partner with you. You got to have a spouse with you. You got to have people in your corner. And then I'm going to change my thoughts and my actions. Um, I talked to a mom this morning who was whose daughter has um, been struggling for about 20 years with disordered eating challenges. And I finally said, ma'am, you've been trying the same thing for 20 years. Would you be willing to try something different? And just saying it that, and I, oh, and I said, because what you're doing is not working. It's never worked. Mm-hmm. And that she goes, oh yeah. <laughs> you're I and kind of chuckled. Like, yeah, I guess, I guess doing more of that isn't helping, right? So I've got to do things differently. I've got to make choices to do things differently. I got to seek out different pictures and models of what this might look like. If your parents were terrible with money or you don't even saw them talk about money, that's why someone like Dave why somebody like you is so great because you provide a picture of here's another way to do this. Um, and then we got to change our thoughts. We have to constantly keep our heads out of the gutter and continue. Not, not in the fart joke kind of way because I love yeah. fart jokes. yeah, that's right. um, But keep our heads out of the um, constant negativity and the pessimism and the sarcasm and just darkness after darkness after darkness. Um, the world's a pretty magical, extraordinary place if we go looking for those things.
0: Yeah. And one thing I've noticed with behavior change um, is it doesn't happen overnight, especially wow. when we're dealing with money. That's right. And it's usually a series of small steps taken intentionally over a long period of time, but that can feel like a long haul. I mean, you mentioned you had six figures of student loan debt. I had 220,000 uh, and that was all wrapped in like one loan. And so <laughs> I just had a boulder. I didn't have, so I got introduced to Dave Ramsey and his baby steps. I'm like, there's no steps. There's just like a big boulder I have to climb. It's <laughs> um, like they handed you a chisel and a hammer and said, "Go yeah, get them, buddy." And it's like, exactly. "Man." <laughs> exactly. But, you know, I think that's and maybe there's some parallels here with the baby steps, but I think that speaks to the importance of celebrating little wins along the way and as when you're going through big behavior change like changing your destiny with money that's important to recognize that is usually a series of small steps and you have to, you have to recognize that and you have to celebrate those wins when you get them. Yeah. And I've been really compelled and I was surprised at how
1: much it hung on. It, it's, it's stuck with me. Um surprised a, that I'd never read it before and B in and, and second, it was so common sense. It made so much sense. And it was out of James Clear's book, atomic habits where, mm. um, The habit information there is exceptional. It's good. It's a first class. I mean, it sold 150 bajillion million copies. And so it's it's a great book. But the section that really has grabbed my attention over the last year or two was when he talks about, I'm going to not focus on a goal as much as I'm going to focus on an identity. Hmm. And I think we get psychotic about, I'm going to run a 10K. Well, cool, man. Anybody can muscle it up and, and white knuckle your way to running a 10K. But what if you, you've really just stressed your body out a lot, right? Instead of saying, I'm going to become a runner, I'm going to become a person who is a steward of their body, and my actions are going to back up that new identity. And so I'm going to be somebody who doesn't have to worry about money. What does that mean? That means I'm going to spend several years being obsessive about it. Being bananas about it, being so intentional that it becomes second nature, so that I set up these tiny little wins along the way that will ultimately get me to where I want to go. But where I want to go is less about a goal and a finish line because I've found that, man, if I can just make this much money, and as soon as I make that, it already is like, ah, oh, well, you know, I need to make double that. Yeah. So I've found goals less satisfactory and more you know what? I want to make enough money to where I can laugh really hard at the end of the day. I can fall asleep at night and that's going to be 50,000 for one guy. and It's going to be 150 for another guy. Hmm. But I want to be at, uh, be able to have a relationship with money where me and my kids can laugh. And when my kid shows up for prom, I won't have to think about it. And, those type of decisions, that identity has been it's been phenomenal for me as I've made some changes in my own life for the last couple of years, trying this whole new job and living a whole new life in the public sphere. I'm gonna live into an identity and man, the goals have just they've just knocked themselves out one after the other on the way to fulfilling that identity.
0: So you brought up a really interesting point that I want to come back to because I think in society You know, we talk about so many things. It almost feels like nothing is off the table anymore um, except for money and personal finance. And when going through change, you know, people will talk about politics. They'll talk about religion. They'll talk about their weight loss journey. When you talk about their money, they bristle, right? Yeah. And Yes. Can I tell you
1: about that? So when I was getting into counseling, when I was doing my counseling practicum, In one or two sessions, man, I knew everybody's sexual partners, what they were into, like what relationship issues they were having. I mean, people would talk about anything. Yeah. And when I would ask them, what is your debt load? How much do you owe? (laughs) That nobody would ever answer that question. Uh, It would be like a lot. I don't know. (laughs) I don't really want to talk about that right now. (laughs) You're exactly right. And I think it comes back to that. What are you worth? We put a number on there. There's nowhere to go with that. Right. There's there's no way around I owe $100,000. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, just, it just sits on you.
0: Yeah, I've experienced yeah.
1: that exact thing.
0: Yeah. So, but I, I think when we're going through big change, especially around money, even though it's hard, it's really important to involve other people in that conversation and on your journey. Mm-hmm. So, how do we bring in other people into our lives that we care about, you know, let them know? Hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what we're doing. Here's how I can support you, whether that's friends or family. You know, this is what we need at this point. Do you have? I mean, that's a tough topic to to bring up. Um, do you have any? Do you have any tips for that? Yeah. Um,
1: so I, <laughs> that's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me on a podcast. Um, I, I'm just gonna be real frank. Is that cool? Yeah, please. I am super empathetic about almost everything. Yeah. Um, all of the situations that i sit with people and i i mean i've just been with people in the most bonkers situations and i all my i mean my i always do my best and i I mean it just happens like I, i put myself in their shoes and think man this is a mess the one thing that i have very little empathy for is people who try to do all of life all on their own and again, I've found myself in seasons of profound loneliness. So that's not what I'm talking about. And I'm not talking about introverts because I'm one of those two. I'm talking about people who try to have every answer to every question and will never outsource any sort of support. One of my core values of my life is to, quote unquote, have a guy. Yeah. You know what I don't know <laughs> anything about? HVAC. <laughs> yeah. One of my best friends in the world is an HVAC guy. Yeah. I call him 100% of the time. Yeah. One of my best friends on the planet is a, uh, is, uh, is it worked at an insurance company. Another one of my best friends is a banker. Another one of my best friends is like a personal finance guy. You know what I never have to worry about? Insurance. Cause I got a guy. When it came to COVID, you know what? I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm yeah. not a virologist. I've never studied any of that stuff, but I knew some people that were. Yeah. And so, you know, I didn't go to YouTube and be like, Ooh, find some <laughs> guy in the trunk of his car giving me something like, oh, guess what's up? I just <laughs> called people who did that. And so for me, I am terrible with money. I know that it's a, it's very emotional for me okay. and it, it's shame inducing. It's emotional. It's all kinds of things. So what do I do? I know that about myself and I ask somebody to walk alongside me. Yeah, I remember the first. It's a it's a hilarious joke. The first time I had a buddy come over, my buddy Todd, he's a finance guru. He came over and helped me figure out my quote unquote net worth. It was not positive, positive. and I didn't know that. And yeah. I threw I, 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 it's it's a legendary story. I, I I threw a grown up temper tantrum. I was like, "What do you mean it's negative?" And he's like, "Yeah." I was like, "I have a house." And yeah. he goes, "Yeah, you, you are, I have a negative net worth." And I was like, "I'm not even zero, right?" But I called the guy in to help me. And if I need mental health help, I call a counselor. And if Mm -hmm. I need, like I had both my knees done a few summers ago, Mm -hmm. I I called a surgeon, right? So I have somebody that's not you. Know what you do really, really well. Be the best in the world at that. And be good resource for your friends and community and neighbors and your, your customers and your clients. And then ask. Just ask, just say, hey, here's where I found myself. There's no shame. We're all in the same boat. Let's all, we, we got to stop ducking our heads at some of these hard conversations and just get after it and get well.
0: Amen. All right, let's finish the conversation here. Um, something I've been really interested in is the impact of recent events, um, whether it's inflation, uh, war in Ukraine, whatever it is, but the impact of those events, not only our mental health, but also on our money and our relationship with money during those times of high stress or crisis. So when it feels like things are spinning out of control and we can't control the cost of strawberries or gas, we know that, right? Mm. Mr. John, what can we control and how should we approach those periods of uncertainty, especially when it deals with our money? That's a great question, man. Um, I'm glad you said that. Um, Like no amount
1: of worrying on my part, no amount of anger and rage and punching the steering wheel is going to bring down gas prices. Yeah. And when I think of it like that, then I have to know that any, uh, any sort of leaning into that sort of rage is a choice to make myself die younger. That's where Hmm. any choice I have running my mouth and scanning websites about interest rates or inflation when I'm not buying anything. Um, is a choice to be a less present dad. It's a choice to be a grumpy husband. Why would I choose that? I can do nothing about inflation. In a couple of years, I can vote. I can do right. that, um, and I can look at my budget. And my wife and I decided to stop buying bacon. Dude, I like to rub bacon on my face. I love it. <laughs> but I looked at the budget, and I was like, "It's not going to happen this week. Yeah. And so, um, because because gas is expensive. And so, yeah, I'm glad that you pointed that out, man. And so then you turn and say, "Okay, well, what am I supposed to do then?" the only two things on planet earth we can control this is it man is our thoughts and our actions that's all so when i find my body taking off on me when i find myself getting angry at the state of things when i get scared at or is world war 3 set off when i feel inept when i'm sitting at home and i'm thinking about these guys my age who put their wives and kids in a car and send them off to another country to Poland. And there's like, I hope to see you someday Mm -hmm. when I put myself in their shoes and think they're freezing and they're under a tree right now with a rifle. Like when I do that, man, I'm not a helping them at all. I'm not helping my situation. The greatest thing I can do is say, what can I control in my environment? You know what? I can usually control my attitude. I can usually control my service and what I'm giving to my community, whether it's local, whether it's abroad. I can choose to be really present with people around me, which has a healing effect on our bodies. I can choose to work my butt off at the office, like show up full force and bring it like just show up and say, you know, I'm going to start doing a great job at work. I'm going to start going all in. Um, I can choose to stop complaining. I can choose to use the off button on my gadgets and quit scrolling all day long, 24 hours a day. So there's some things that I can do there that will bring my body to a place of, okay, he's in control, <sighs> Yep. right? And there's a collective exhale. I can grieve the last couple of years, which have been a mess, and we've just kind of blown by them as a country, we've printed a couple of trillion dollars and tried to tried to pass right over it. We've got to own, man. We lost a million people in our country. We Mm -hmm. all went to funerals or worse were prohibited from going to funerals. Right. We all had kids that, you know, were in school and out of school. It's been a mess. You got to own some of that. We got to sit and grieve that stuff. Um, And focus on the things that I can control. And then I'm going to focus on the things that I put into my head and that I allow to stew around in my mind over and over and over and over again. For me, controlling actions often is writing stuff down. I mean, when I feel that like, I'm pissed off at the government. I'm mad at, at like, my kids hate me. or Whatever the, the nonsense thought just shoots into my head. Often I'll just write it down and I'll look at it and demand evidence from, is this real? Is this actually mm. true? No, it's not. And is that a pain to do that? Yes. It's annoying. But what I'm doing is it's a little win and it's a little step as we talked about earlier. And I'm slowly turning my automated dial. If you ask me what the, in the last hundred years, the most exciting psychological finding, I would tell you. It's Martin Seligman's work, um, and ultimately, if you distill some of the good stuff he's done down, uh, optimism is a learned behavior. I used to think that, and I think psychologists thought for years and years and years that some people were just born or some people were just born optimistic, and you just kind of got what you got. Um, he has proven empirically, optimism is a learned behavior, which means it's a choice. And every day I can wake up and decide I'm going to find beauty or I'm going to be angry. I'm going to find things that are going well. I'm going to find things I'm grateful for. I'm going to find sunshine or I'm going to pull up my neighbor's flowers. I'm going to pick up my cell phone and intentionally have a crappier day. I get to make that choice. And um, I talked to a, um, a, on my show a few weeks ago, a, a woman from Ukraine, they had gotten out and they've got family there. And, Um, I was, I I just thought it was a great gangster mom. It was early on. I don't know if it's real or not, if it's folklore at this point, but um, that an old woman stopped some Russian soldiers in the street and said, you guys better put some sunflower seeds in your pockets. And they said, why? And they said, so flowers will bloom where they bury you. And I was like, (laughs) that was just a great grandma line. Right. Wow. (laughs) Um, But we talked about that and it was talking about, you can sit at home and stew and be scared, or you know what you can go do you can go plant flowers. You can make sure that you're putting beauty into the world where you are, which happens to be overseas away from the conflict. And so I can make those choices and they're not, they're not big grandiose and they're often small. They're often tipping well, saying thank you to the person giving you coffee, asking them how their day is, stopping your kid and saying, I know you're just fine today. Tell me more. Hmm. What's two or three of your favorite things? What were two or three bum things that happened today? Hey honey, can I help tonight? Can I do bedtime tonight with the kids? Can I help you around the house? Where um, can I lean in a little bit more? Uh, that's what, I mean, that's us putting beauty into the world, man. We can do that every
0: single day. Yeah, awesome. Speaking of putting beauty in the world, thank you so much for your most recent book. Please tell us where people can pick that up, where people can learn more about you, your work, what you're doing, where you're going, all of it.
1: And you can pick the book up at johndeloney.com
0: or really anywhere books are sold these days. It's all over the
1: place. And yeah. um, then you can follow me at John Deloney on the, on the internets there. And you can watch my, <laughs> my show anywhere you get YouTube or podcast or whatnot. Um, you watch it after this show, of course.
0: Well, <laughs> after. of course, of course. After. Yes. Uh, but Hey, I'm really,
1: really grateful for your hospitality.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Sean. I appreciate this. I, uh, I hope we can do this again sometime.
1: Absolutely. It's uh, it's been an honor. I, I appreciate
0: right. your blessing. Thanks brother. I hope you found this helpful. If you did, please subscribe and share with your family or friends. If you have a topic you want us to cover in future episodes, send us a note through our website. And if you're at the point where you want an expert opinion on your finances, reach out and we'd be happy to start a conversation. And remember, any comments, insights, or strategies discussed on this podcast are intended to be general in nature and therefore may not be suitable for you and your situation, whatever that may be. Before acting on anything we discuss, Please consult with your attorney, CPA, and or your financial advisor.